Welcome to the Movie Planet. Joining me is the ego to my Peter Quill, Steve. How are you, buddy? I'm doing good. If there's any way that you can make me look younger, I'm in for it. Well, I can devote a planet to you. Oh, yeah. No, can, I don't want that responsibility. I can buy I'm you not, a star. <laughs> uh, remember that was a thing? People buying each other stars for their birthdays and sh- yeah, I still see those advertisements every so often. You do, so. really? I, I don't think I've seen one since, like, 2008. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing. Uh, well, hey, this week uh, we're tackling the second movie in the Guardians of the Galaxy series and the 15th in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, named aptly because of the soundtrack, oh. which is very much a character in this movie and sometimes, in my opinion, more so than the story itself. Yeah, it really is. It's unique that they actually, you know, instead of calling it Guardians of the Galaxy 2, you know, the volume 2. Right. You know, it's, yeah, like- it's something different. But you know what? It's perfect for these kind of movies. Yeah. On this show, we'll be keeping track of all the movies worth your time in our Movie Planet Pantheon. The comic book Movie Planet Preserve is comprised of seven and only seven films. And in order to be inducted, it's got to be reviewed by us. They are number one. Deadpool with a perfect score, Iron Man with a perfect score, and Dark Knight with a perfect score. Those are our top three. Then we've got number four, Batman Begins with an A-, and then with a solid B-plus across the board, Doctor Strange, Captain America Civil War, and Captain America the Winter Soldier. And Steve, i got to say, I am so happy Doctor Strange is so high. Yeah, uh, I, I was just looking at you like six and seven, and I know when we did the Winter Soldier podcast, you, that was, I think, other than... There's another one in there, but I can't remember. But you were like the most surprised. Oh, it was Dark World. You were so surprised on how much you liked it. And now I'm seeing it at seven. Your your movie you like could get booted out. Steve, (laughs) I'm not a fan of this. I'm not a fan of the idea that the Winter Soldier could boot it out. (laughs) I, 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 I love this movie. And I may make a plea later on that it may stay. I don't know. We'll see. But All right, we'll see. The higher the grade we give it, the longer it may be staying there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it down on its butt from the preserve of the future. So we will discuss the movie, and in an hour or so, we will analyze it and grade it and figure out if we need to boot a movie out, and God willing, we don't. This is a spoiler-rich podcast, so if you haven't seen 2017's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, it's best if you stop right here, watch the movie, and then turn us back on to enjoy our discussion and analysis. But now that we finished that business, let's get down to business! Do it. This week... We are discussing 2017's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, a movie made for a cool $200 million that brought in $863.7 million worldwide. That is not a lot for this. Like, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 came out like gangbusters. I thought this would have cracked a billion. Well, I mean, it's you say that. I look at that number compared to what that we just saw. It's like, that's pretty... I seem like that's pretty good for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was like, after because Guardians of the Galaxy 1 came out of nowhere, and people loved it, and I'm like, well, then it's it's definitely going to crack the billion mark, but do you think it's possible that this movie just didn't live up to the hype? Uh, it, it had to have, I guess, because this, you know, I look back and it's like, this only came out three years ago. Yeah. Yeah, just three. Feels like forever. Feels like forever. So it's, I, I'm... You know, you can't say, oh, you're going to adjust for, like, any kind of inflation. No. <laughs> written, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, written and directed by James Gunn, who was hired, then fired, then hired again by Disney. Uh, mm-hmm. pr- produced by Kevin Feige, with music by Tyler Bates, who also, I believe, did Guardians 1, and I think he did Thor The Dark World. 
let's be honest. He might have done the music, but there are so many artists that did the music for these films. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's great. He did the soundtrack, but let's remember it's the rock music that people remember in this movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, starring Chris Pratt as Peter Quill or Chris Pratt for himself. Uh, Kurt Russell as Ego. Zoe Saldana as Gamora, Dave Bautista as Drax the Destroyer, the voice of Vin Diesel as Baby Groot, <laughs> the voice of Bradley Cooper as Rocket, Michael Rooker as Yandu Udanta, Karen Gillan as Nebula, Palm Clementif as Mantis, Elizabeth Debicki as Aisha, Chris Sullivan as Taserface, Sean Gunn as Craglin, David Hasselhoff as himself, Guillermo Rodriguez, Guillermo from Jimmy Kimmel as a police officer when the seedling was terraforming. Oh, okay. And uh, then there's the original Guardian of the Galaxy who show up, Sylvester Stallone as Dakar Ogard, uh, Michael Rosenbaum, and if you don't remember who he was, he was Lex Luthor on Smallville. Gotcha. Yeah, he's Martin X. Ving Rame shows up as Charlie 27. Michelle Yeoh as Aletta Ogord. And Miley Cyrus as Mainframe, though you never actually hear her voice. <laughs> Why? Why did, oh, gee, I don't oh, know. And Stanley as an informant to the Watchers? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what this is. Out of all these, it still blows my mind the fact that the ever gorgeous Karen Gillian oh. is all dolled up as Nebula. Nebula. It's just I I can't even see it. Maybe I saw it a little bit in this film, but then yeah. when you look at what she's the other films that she does, it's like how once you've seen her in the costume for Jumanji, it's hard to go back to Nebula. <laughs> oh, it is. It really is. Um. Okay, time to get in the making of this movie. Here we go. Don't get on the set. Get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies. I make films. Shortly after Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 hit the theaters, co-screenwriter Nicole Perlman confirmed a sequel to the movie, saying it was going to happen due to the positive internal response for the first film at Disney, and that Gunn would write and direct. Then, at San Diego Comic-Con International soon after, the sequel was given a release date of July 28, 2017. Gunn had begun work on the film within a month and said it would include at least one new Guardian from the comics. Now we're in October of 2014, just a few months later, and because the process was going so well, James Gunn confirmed that all five original Guardians would return for the sequel, along with other supporting characters, and the release date was moved up to May 5th of 2017. In March of 2015, James Gunn revealed that filming would take place in Atlanta, Georgia, with a much different crew from the first film and that his brother Sean Gunn would return as Craglin alongside Karen Gillan. Now at this time, Michael Rooker, Chris Pratt, Bradley Cooper, and Vin Diesel had all confirmed their roles also, uh, albeit online or on late night TV shows. In May of 2015, James Gunn said the sequel would feature fewer characters than the first film, and that he had planned to introduce two major new characters in the script, Mantis and Adam Warlock. Hawks had begun with an actor Gunn had in mind to portray Mantis, while he had decided to remove Warlock due to the film becoming a little overstuffed. He explained, quote, 
One of the main things with Guardians of the Galaxy is not to add a bunch of characters, not to make it bigger in that way, but to go deeper with the characters and getting to know them more emotionally. Everything is just getting too sprawling and too crazy for me in these superhero comic book movies. I adored what we had done with Adam. I think we did something really creative and unique with Adam Warlock. But it was one character too many, and I didn't want to lose Mantis. And Mantis was more organically part of the movie anyway. End quote. He noted that Warlock could appear in future Guardians films and is considered essential to the cosmic side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The character's future introduction is hinted at in one of the film's mid credit scenes. However, James Gunn also noted that Marvel gave him a little bit of flack for inc including the Warlock teaser because they felt fans would believe the character would be appearing in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, which was not the case. By including the scene, Gunn promised Marvel he would use his social media presence to clarify for fans that the character would not be seen in either of the Avengers films. After the film's announcement, James Gunn said he knew the direction for the sequel, having written the backstory of Peter Quill, his father, and his history with Yondu during making the first film. Gunn wanted to give the sequel a different structure from the first film, since a major reason why people loved the first one was because it was so weird and different. Might as well stay the course. Feige said exploring Quill's father would be essential to the future of the franchise. Gunn also stated that he wanted to make sure Yandu wasn't an overlooked character in regards to his relationship to Quill and his father, and also revealed that Quill's father would not be Jay Sun, as in the comics. Gunn was even less confident Marvel was going to be happy with Baby Groot because Adult Group was a very popular character from Volume 1. However, by changing Groot, Gunn felt it creatively kept things fresh, allowing Gunn to bring out new characteristics from the other characters. When asked about how the film would connect with the other Phase 3 films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, James Gunn said, quote, I don't feel beholden to that stuff at all. I think it's really about the Guardians and what they are doing, end quote. James Gunn set the film two to three months after the first film because he liked that this group was still learning how to be a team and a family, which kind of puts this movie out of order sequentially and chronologically. In June 2nd, 2015, Gunn announced on social media that he had completed the first draft of the screenplay and that the film's title would not simply be Guardians of the Galaxy 2. The same week, he confirmed the return of Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, and Bradley Cooper as Gamora, Drax, and Rocket, respectively. At the end of the month, Gunn announced the film would be titled Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2, saying he, quote, I came up with a lot of titles for Volume 2, but because Guardians of the Galaxy is already so wordy, it seems strange to add another bunch of words after it. I liked Volume 2 the best, so that's what I stuck on the cover of the screenplay. And fortunately, Marvel liked it also, end quote. In September of 2015, James Gunn said in a Facebook post that he wanted to use Sneepers, an alien race that first appeared in Marvel Comics in 1964, as background characters in the film, but was advised against it by Marvel's legal department because the name was too similar to Sneepur, the Icelandic word for clitoris. The Marvel legal department later cleared the use of Sneepers in the film, in part because of all the media coverage Gunn's initial post received. By the end of October 2015, Tom Clementif was cast as Mantis. Also, it was reported that Matthew McConaughey had recently turned down the role of the villain in the film in favor of the much less popular Dark Tower. Matthew McConaughey felt that he would have been an amendment 
in volume two, in quote, a colorful part made for another big name actor, end quote. Boy, is he stupid. In December, James Gunn said that he was corresponding with John C. Riley about him reprising his role as Nova Corman Roman Day, while Kurt Russell entered early talks to play Quill's father. January of 2016, it was reported that prop master Russell Bobbitt had difficulty finding the cassette decks that had been used in the first film, and all of the Sony Walkman headsets they sourced for the sequel were broken. Sony also did not have any headsets available for filming, while three pairs Bobbitt found on eBay cost around $1,800 and were not even the exact model. So what does Russell Bobbitt do? Well, he creates six of these Walkmans from scratch just for volume two alone. On February 17th, principal photography began with Marvel confirming that Kurt Russell had joined the cast and revealing that Elizabeth Debicki and Chris Sullivan had also been cast, all in undisclosed roles. And then at San Diego Comic-Con in 2016, Russell and Debicki were revealed to be playing Ego, Quill's father, and Aisha, respectively. Sylvester Stallone was also revealed to be in the film, with his role later revealed as Stakar Ogord. Gunn also introduced multiple actors who were playing Ravager characters, since the Ravagers have a larger presence in the film, and on that decision to reveal Russell as Ego and Quill's father when, they, when he did, Gunn felt that since people were going to figure it out eventually, it was better that we just took the reins in our own hands and make the reveal. Gunn also felt that this would move the focus of audiences from wanting to discover who Quill's father is to the story and the relationship that these characters have. In August of 2016, Gunn confirmed the film would include not one, not two, but five post-credit scenes. Four mid-credits, one post-credit. All right. Steve, do you remember seeing this movie for the first time? What would you think? Yeah, it was on the Joe journey. <laughs> what about you? Uh, for me... I don't remember seeing this for the first time, honestly. I remember a lot of the movies that I've seen. This one, I don't remember if I saw it by myself or with my friend Liz, who did the Mean Girls podcast, because uh, we saw GOTG the first time together. So, And I know she's a big Chris Pratt fan, so I may have seen it with her. I don't remember. Which Was this something you went to the theater for, though? Definitely. I know okay. I went to the theater. I have, yeah, I went to, ever since Iron Man. I have gone to every MCU movie in the theater. Okay. Yeah, but uh, so I have nothing really interesting to add for this story. I it, I went. Uh, I saw it. I believe back then I was like, uh, I think I'm all Chris Pratted out now. Well, isn't that just a little foreshadowing? Maybe, <laughs> but it's time to start walking through this movie. Cue the clip. You all right, son? I, I saw your girl stomp off a little earlier in quite a huff. Yeah. It's fortuitous you listening to this song. You know, uh, Brandy? By Looking Glass? <laughs> a favorite of your mom's. Yes. Yeah, it was. One of Earth's greatest musical compositions. Perhaps its very greatest. Yeah. Yes. You know, Peter, you and I, we're... We're the sailor in that song. He came on a summer's day, bringing gifts from far away. Like the child I put in your mother, or the freedom you brought Gamora. 
Brandy, you're a fine girl. What a good wife you would be. My life, my love, my lady is the sea. The sea calls the sailor back. He loves the girl, but that's not his place. Sea calls upon him as history calls upon great men. And sometimes we are deprived the pleasures of mortals. Well, you may not be mortal, but me. Oh, Peter, death will remain a stranger to both of us as long as the light burns within the planet. I'm immortal. Mm-hmm. Really? Yes. Long as the light exists. And I can use the light to build cool things like how you made this whole planet? Well, it might take you a few million years of practice before you get really good at it, but yes! What? This is... We'll get ready for an 800-foot statue of Pac-Man with Skeletor and Heather Locklear. Do anything you want. I'm gonna make some weird shit. But you know, Peter, it is a tremendous responsibility. Only we can remake the universe. Only we can take the bridle of the cosmos and lead it to where it needs to go. How? Missouri, Planet Earth, 1980. Meredith Quill is riding in a car listening to Brandy. Because she a fine girl, what a good wife she would be. On the radio with her boyfriend, whom she calls her Spaceman. They go behind a Dairy Queen and run into the woods where the man shows Meredith a small alien seedling, which he says will eventually be all over the place. He then kisses Meredith. And the first thing I think, Steve, is, God that de-aging technology going again this time with kurt russell and it looks fantastic yeah it gets better every time that they use it completely agree like we saw it really good with michael douglas and ant-man and this is just like i was i thought i was watching tango and cash again yeah it was really good did they just give away the fact that the spaceman is star lord's father from the very beginning I, yeah, I guess now that I look back on it, when I when you say that, but in, in the beginning, again for the second time, even watching this, it didn't I didn't even click. So maybe either I'm just that's didn't catch it went over my head. But then again, I feel like a lot of things went over my head in this film. Well, but yeah, they they totally alluded to it. I agree. Yeah, it's one of two things. I because he calls her Meredith Quill. It's either his mom and some nobody who doesn't matter, which makes the scene completely useless, or it's his mom and his father. Yeah, I see. I got the uh, link that it was his father when he said her name, Meredith Quill. Yeah. Okay. Now it all makes sense. Uh, Then we fast forward 34 years later. uh, And mind you, 34 years later from 1980 is 2014. This is important for later on. The Guardians of the Galaxy, Peter Quill, Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax, Rocket Raccoon, and Baby Groot, although if you call Rocket a raccoon, he'll get pissed off for some reason, are standing on a platform as they try to secure Anulex batteries from their latest employers, the Sovereigns. The Guardians have their weapons ready as they gear up to battle an interdimensional beast known as the Abelisk. The Abelisk descends, leading the Guardians to spring into action, except for Groot, who is jamming out to Mr. Blue, Blue Sky by ELO on a speaker that Rocket set up, all while the other are trying to annihilate the obelisk. 
Drax ends up falling on the speaker to Groot's dismay. Since they cannot harm the obelisk from the outside, Drax tries to kill it from inside by allowing it to swallow him. Star-Lord notices a cut on the monster's neck and orders Rocket to get it to look up. Gamora then slices the obelisk downward, killing it and letting Drax spill out of the hole. Honestly, this is how the movie should have started. Not with the whole Meredith Quill thing, because I love the intro to these guys. Yeah, it's uh, this was the cash grab for Baby Groot. Yes, it and was. How, and how cute it is. It's felt, um, this whole scene felt very, it, it almost exactly was like Men in Black. You know, <laughs> the alien looked very Men in Black. That's what I first saw. Yeah, and was that big that alien Drax barfing confetti? Yeah, the fact that Drax jumps in his mouth and tries to kill him. It was just, it was very weird, but. I agree. Drax is fucking crazy in this. Um, mm-hmm. I it, it, he does two really stupid things at the very beginning. I'm like, hey, Drax, really? I I love that Groot though is only good against little beasts, <laughs> but he clearly oh, has yeah. some anger issues. <laughs> yeah, he does. He's this still is... trying to figure himself out. But yeah, with Drax, it's just like, well, that's that that's his character though. He's very literally. He doesn't really think about things, so it makes him kind of that stereotypical big buff stupid guy yeah gamora's got a big gun but uh steve well yeah when she pulled out the gun and then quill goes man i thought your weapon was a sword and then she says oh a sword doesn't go against and i thought it was just you know all the video games i've played she's always got a sword i'm like where the heck is this have we even seen it yet and I actually entered that in as kind of a problem with one of my notes. And then uh-huh. three minutes later, I'm there like, it is. Oh, okay. Delete, 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 delete. Okay. So I can have that analysis. Yeah. It, that, she does a lot better when she's got a sword. It's pretty badass. Yeah. But we also do later on see her with a big ass gun. <laughs> yeah. I, I wish they would have stayed with the sword. You know? I, I feel you. I feel whatever. You. The guardians bring the batteries back to the sovereigns and meet with their high priestess, Aisha. In exchange for the batteries, the Sovereigns deliver Gamora's sister Nebula to the Guardians so that they can take her to Xandar and collect the bounty for her. Before they leave, Aisha talks down to the Guardians, but Peter, in particular, noting his half-human, half-alien heritage, gives him something she deems reckless. The Guardians leave with Rocket swiping some of the batteries for himself. Now, first, I'm going to say this. I love the design of the Sovereigns and their decor. It's very unique. It's everything's gold. Yeah, I agree. It was, it's something completely different, and it totally matches these type of movies. When I mean these, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Yeah. And with Rocket still in the batteries, oh, that's just typical. That's you know, typical that's Rocket. Just, that doesn't surprise me. And he's on his game with the winking all the time. Oh, jeez, yeah. yeah he but he's wink. doing it on the wrong sides of his body. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I thought it was interesting, they bring Nebula in right away. Like, they're not waiting halfway through. The, they're like, nope, Nebula's here also. We're going with this. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I completely forgot about that. And I, if they didn't have her throughout the movie, I don't think I even would have thought about her at all. Yeah, so right. I guess bringing in an integral part person like that again. Yeah, they did it quick, I guess. Yeah, I'm in. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, on their way to the planet Xandar, the Guardians are suddenly met by a fleet of sovereign drones all going after them for the stolen batteries. The others figure it was Rocket that took them and they're all pissed off. The drones start attacking as Rocket tries to steer the Milano toward a wormhole that will lead them to another planet. In the distance, another craft passes by and starts to destroy the Sovereign drones. A man appears to stand on his ship like he's riding a Sea-Doo and wave to the Guardians. The Guardians escape the drones but must crash land on a nearby planet. 
Steve, I have two things to say. I love the way the Sovereigns fight their battles, like each person in the army is playing a video game. And also, I hate how the way the Sovereigns fight their battles, like each person in the army is playing a god video game, including the sounds. It's very, it's a different way of warfare. And I don't know, I guess you got to give it to them, the fact that they're not risk, that they can pretty much do whatever they want. But I would think. But their army sounded like an arcade. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's. I don't know. It's definitely unique. I'll, I'll I'll just leave it at that. Like I get that they're trying to embrace the whole '80s theme with the Guardians of the Galaxy, but you don't have to take us to a fucking arcade and have like all that in the background. I'm like, oh my god, is this an army? How are these people not been conquered yet? I guess I didn't even notice the sounds in there. And if it was, yeah, you don't need to bring the '80s yeah. to the cosmic realm. Uh, every Leave time that on Earth, and every time Gamora and Nebula are together, I personally get excited because I know their backstory ties to, th- to Thanos. And yet, we never get there. No. <laughs> um, having Peter and Rocket yell at each other about who the better pilot is. <laughs> See, okay, and I think I get back to this in one of my bottom three. But it, but the whole exchange ends with Drex just saying, "I have famously huge turds." Yeah, and I, I think I heard that the second time when he says it twice. I think I finally heard that again. So yeah. again, it was this forcing kind of humor that I didn't really hear off the end because it just seems like during important conversations, there's just a lot of chaos and noise going on. Yes, and it's like. How are these one? How is that? How are the the Milano not blown to smithereens by the seven hundred plus probably <laughs> ships that are firing at them? You know, it's like the it's, Millennium Falcon. It it never gets hurt. Uh, stupid. I didn't like that. Yeah. Uh, I as I'm watching this, I see the the new ship show up. I'm like, is that a mystery crafted egg? <laughs> That's what I thought of a flying egg. Yeah. Now, now I'm not gonna lie. I do really wish that this would have been the Silver Surfer. That would have been really cool. If they had the Silver Surfer come and do this to everybody. Uh, instead of some yeah. Jamoke using a space sea do. Yeah, it would have been better if he even had a better ship. Actually, the, a ship that I would have thought would have been really cool for him would have been, I can't remember the name of it, but it was um, had Queen Amidala's ship when they, from episode one. Oh, that's When they land down at Tantooine. Yeah, that ship. Yes. Uh, Not an egg. <laughs> <laughs> the... Uh, they crash land, and I'm sorry, Steve, Drax should be dead. I know it's fantasy and all, but that crash was brutal, and that guy flew through a, a forest of trees and doesn't have a scratch on him. Did he still have his protective suit on him? Could that have maybe been the reason why? Because he had that space suit on him. Uh, maybe. I, get, I, I That's the only thing I can think of, and I guess if that can protect him from space and... It's just like wearing a padded suit. But well, then I'm going to have to revise something it. that I say later on because I completely yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, as the Guardians observe the wreckage of their ship, the other ship that saved them descends. Stepping out is Ego, who immediately reveals himself to be Peter's father. With him is his empath- empathic assistant, Mantis. Yay, Kurt Russell and a new character, Mantis. <laughs> Yeah, it was cool to have Kurt Russell when I was watching the credits in the, in the beginning. You know, I saw Kurt Russell and then, like, you know, saw Sylvester Stallone. I was like, a lot of huge names are jumping on this Marvel bandwagon. That's Tango so, and Cash, man. 
Yeah, so I liked it. It was pretty cool. And uh, he did a good job in this film. His name is Ego, which is a little on the nose with the name, but, you know, what do you uh, do? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> uh, on another planet... Yandu Udanta and his team of Ravagers have fallen on hard times. He is staying in a nearby hotel where Howard the Duck is also in attendance. Yandu yep. spots his old comrade, Stakar Ogord, who has exiled Yandu from the Ravager team for child trafficking. Political among the Ravagers is Taserface. <laughs> Thinks the Ravagers need a new leader, along with Craglin, who is James Gunn's brother, Sean Gunn, uh, who has since also come to question Yandu's leadership. After Yandu finishes talking to Stakar, the Sovereigns arrive, and Aisha approaches Yandu with a proposition. Now, <laughs> Yandu is hanging in a brothel filled with sex robots. <laughs> Disney did not have a hand in this movie. <laughs> No, so this was after Disney had purchased them, right? Yes, it was. Okay, so I think Disney was still new to the whole Marvel thing. They were kind of hands off at this point, <laughs> going, yeah. "Marvel, you do your own thing. We got this. We'll we'll just collect the checks." <laughs> there you go. Uh, Stakar is one of the original Guardians of the Galaxy, and he's brought in. They brought in Stallone for this, which means he better have a big role in this movie. It's Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, and I'll tell you, seeing how you're. When you mentioned all the old Guardians of the Galaxy, this whole scene, if you're just an average Marvel fan, oh, yeah. you have no idea who these people are. Nope. And you really don't even care. Yeah. Uh, I, this, was, this whole scene is like meant for like the comic book fans, the super fans in there. And I think I get into that later. Yeah. And I'm having a hard time figuring out what the heck the Ravagers are. Uh, are they good guys? Are they bad guys? Are they just smugglers? I mean... Yandu gets embarrassed in front of everyone about his honor, but I have a feeling that the Ravagers don't have a whole lot of honor amongst them because it seems like Taser, Taserface has a bit of a mutinous look on his face. <laughs> the the Ravagers, now that I think about it, remind me of just the pirate version of Mandalorians. Okay, like the bounties, the, the bounty hunters? Yes, yeah, they kind of have their own creed to go by. It might not be uh, morally correct, but with them it is so say we all so as um <laughs> what's his face from uh pirates of the caribbean just the code they're more like guidelines right 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh the sovereign's carpet gets jammed when they enter and uh well it seems like everyone is going to be used jokingly in this movie and i don't know if i like that <laughs> like is anybody taken seriously in this movie? No, and this is this is the beginning of the forced humor. Yeah, like it stopped, and it's like re really, yeah, and you know a record slide also on it too. Like, yeah, and then like the supreme leader, you know, right, has all the respect in the world. It just goes, <sighs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden it works. It's like, uh, yeah, it, it was. And, that that was forced. It was, yeah. That didn't need to. That didn't need to be there. Uh, Peter is still in shock to finally be meeting his father. Ego explains that he sent Yandu to pick Peter up after his mother died. Peter still also doesn't understand why Ego left Meredith in the first place. He invites Peter and his friends to his planet, which Peter is hesitant about until Gamora convinces him to join his father. Peter, Gamora, and Drax go with Ego and Mantis. Or go with Ego and Mantis while Rocket and Groot stay behind to fix the Milano and keep an eye on Nebula. W why didn't they just all go? 
Because uh, they didn't want to bring Nebula because she's a bad person. I don't know. It's, <laughs> they uh, got that in every in every film that the Guardians are in. They are always split up. Yeah. So maybe they just kind of wanted to stick with this. I don't know. And plus, the ship needed to be fixed. So what? They get done with their mission, come back. Now we got to all sit and wait and fix the ship. So I guess they were just trying to spread out their resources. I don't remember in the first movie, but. Was Rocket this big of a prick in the first movie? Yeah, I think he was. Was he? He's always a prick. I don't like Rocket in this movie so far. He's just got a hard shell because of all the crap that's happened to him. That's why. Uh, well, and you know what? It'd be nice to sit on those emotions, but unfortunately you can't because every time they lay a serious moment down, they got to cut the shit with humor. Excuse mm-hmm. me, I have to take a whiz. Really, Ego? Was that, yeah, that necessary yeah. right now? Yeah, that was... You said it correctly, SMH. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I love seeing the scenes with Mantis and Drax, but they're utterly pointless. They're hysterical, but pointless. I thought they were very dry. They're, they're, they're perfect for each other. Don't get me wrong, because they don't understand the concept of emotion and, uh, and satire. So that's why they are freaking perfect for each other. Did you, um, did you ever see yeah, Anchorman 2? Awkward. That's, it's the awkward funny is what they are. Did you ever see Anchorman 2? No. Okay. Because they basically take the Steve Carell character, Brick, and they introduce him to the female counterpart of it. And this reminds me of that because it was Kristen Wiig. It was Kristen Wiig and Steve Carell being dumb together. And I'm watching this going, this is too much. Forced humor. On Ego's ship, the three talk to Mantis, who shows off her powers by seeing into their minds. She lets everyone know that Peter has sexual feelings for Gamora, which Drax finds hilarious. And I guess this scene is necessary to show off Mantis's powers and how limiting they actually are. She can feel things. That's f***ing lame. <laughs> well, it was. You know, she can feel things, but she also did mention that she can alter feelings as well. She can, yes. Which is even more powerful. Which but she has is, to be in contact kind of with them. She has to touch them in order to do that. Yes. Yes, she does. Yeah. Yes, she does. I, you know what's funny is somewhere in the X-Men universe, Rogue is laughing hysterically at this, going, bitch, please. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Ravagers come across the woods where the Guardians crash-landed. Most of them end up walking into traps laid out by Rocket until Yondu shows up with his Yaka arrow, which I didn't know that's what it was called, controlled through his whistling. The Ravagers get Rocket and Groot, but when Taserface plans to get Peter, Yondu isn't quite as willing to turn him over. Nebula then breaks the crest on Yondu's head to knock him out. She aligns herself with the Ravagers as they take Rocket, Groot, and Yondu prisoner. Now, this scene is shot really well. It's lit well. And this is where Rocket shines, but still too damn goofy. <laughs> yeah, I thought the goofiest part was when he keeps using that, um, like that little thruster on the bottom oh. on the ground where he keeps throwing them up in the air. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, these guys should be dead because those trees are tall. But I thought it was, a, I agree. I thought it was really, really fun because you get to see Rocket in his natural habitat. Amongst the trees? <laughs> yeah, amongst the trees. <laughs> but how did Rocket know they were there? My only thing is that he's just that person who's that prepared, I guess. He just knows that trouble's coming. And he either had some kind of security system in place or something went off and he knew that people were coming so he set himself up i that that that's my only guess with it okay yeah because i'm thinking to myself wow that's a lot of planning he just did if they just landed and started coming towards them i mean unless that was like his security system around there and then 
He had some of it already set up because that's kind of the first thing, you know, you set a perimeter, okay. you know, before, before you start getting to work and some, maybe something came up and he tripped it. And so he kind of did a couple things. I thought it was clever as all hell because <laughs> they're all thinking that he's there and he's up in the trees just going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like he's working, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was well. Okay. So basically what you're saying is that he's been in the tree for a while now doing that sound in case somebody showed up. No, I think some they showed up. It like probably triggered something. And again, this is all speculation. Uh-huh. And assuming that he thinks like everybody else in terms of security. And then once that happens, he says, "Okay, you got to go set up." So he goes in the trees, and then he puts his. It very. It felt very Home Alone to me. Okay, you all know right. where he has all of his uh, booby traps all set up, and it was just one thing after another. That's exactly what I think of. Yeah, Home Alone. Home Alone. Yeah. See, I just think if they, if you take out the scene where they're doing the whole, he's got sexual feelings for her. They take that whole scene now, and they just have, we've got people coming in, Rocket. What are we going to do? I'll take care of it. You yeah. do something like that. Okay, cool. At least we know then. All right. Ego brings everyone to the planet that literally lives through him, as Ego is a celestial, and his consciousness is the core of the planet. He explains to the three that he came up with a human form to travel the galaxy, and he came to Earth and fell in love with Meredith, but could not see her so often because it would take up a lot of his energy. Peter continues to hold hostile feelings for Ego for leaving Meredith alone to die. As Peter grows more emotional, his hands produce powerful energy that is linked to Ego's own power. Ego shows him how to control it and use it. We get a celestial. Boom. This will be something probably expanded upon when the Eternals comes out in August. We shall see. Because you know what? Marvel does have the history of putting things in films and then never hearing about it ever again. A couple times in this one, to be exact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we also, he, he gets to play ball with his dad. Yeah, that kind of came back. That was a little foreshadowing when he talked about that earlier in the film. Yeah. Uh, I just, the first thing I thought of was this, dang, you know how to use this power really quick and how to harness it really quick. So yeah, like, easy and, to, he's probably just a natural with it, but. But here, if it's powerful energy that's linked to his own power and it's when Peter grows emotional, how come it didn't show up when his mother passed away on him uh, just out of the blue? Like this is the first time his emotions are letting him do this. And it's the last time no. we're going to see it. First and last. Yeah. I I don't like this, Steve. But Okay. I, I, I think I'll probably talk about that later, but okay. I can talk about it now. No, we can talk about it later. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's in your bottom three or top three. Um, on, the ra- <laughs> on the Ravager ship, Taserface and his goons, Taserface, <laughs> and his goons start ejecting those that are still loyal to Yondu, except for Craglin, who only watches in disbelief as his friends are killed. When Taserface boasts his greatness and fearful name, Rocket only mocks him. Nebula enters and suggests that the Ravagers turn in their captives to the Kree for their bounties on their heads. She also makes other demands, including a new hand. She wants a new hand bad. Craglin brings her to a ship that she uses to get off the Ravager ship and to go find Gamora. See, no, here we go. Yondu's morons, I expect this humor from, and I get it. Thank you, Yondu's morons. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we find out Nebula wants to kill both Gamora and Thanos. If she hates this was him, the, yeah. yeah, if she hates him so much, then I've got questions when we get to Endgame. 
Yeah, this is, I think, the first time Thanos' name is dropped in this film. Yeah, it is. And I like the fact that they at least name dropped him, even though they didn't have him on screen, because he was an integral part of Guardians One. Yes, he had a, he had a, he had that was probably the most screen time he's had. So at least they're keeping it relevant. They're mm-hmm. keeping him in there. He's just throwing the name out there for the audience. Right. We haven't um, forgotten about him. <laughs> Mantis and Drax form a bond, though Drax continues to remind Mantis that he finds her hideous. But that it is a good thing because he thinks that he is hideous as well and still managed to find someone else that loved him for who he is. Mantis says that she needs to tell Drax something important, but Gamora interrupts things and Mantis keeps quiet. Instead, just taking the two to their rooms. This scene also is ultimately unnecessary other than to give Mantis some screen time. Well, I think it just goes to your next point um, about Mantis and Gamora. Yeah. I think it's just it's there just to say that there's something else that's going on. Does Mantis you know? not trust Gamora? No, I think I think it's the other way around. Gamora Gamora doesn't trust anybody. Right. That's that, that's evident. That's part of her character. Um, I think she trusts her, but she's just scared of her. Okay, so. but. She seems more scared of ego. Well, yeah, because I think, well, she obviously knows what his end game, no pun ah! intended, obviously knows what his end game is and just knows that what it's revealed on later, what's going to happen because it's been happening for thousands of years. Right. Like, so, I'm just wondering why she didn't spill the beans right then and there. Uh, don't know. I, I think know. it was part of it. She's just totally scared of Gabor and... But you'd think that if, you know, yeah, I don't know. I know. Yeah. The Ravagers <laughs> throw Rocket and Yandu in a cell while they take Groot for their own entertainment. Yandu mentions how he was a Kree battle slave before Stakar pulled him out and made him a Ravager. When Rocket asks about why Yandu kept Peter around, the audience realizes this movie's actually about Yandu. He insists it's because Peter was small enough to fit in spaces where the others couldn't. The two then resolve to work together to break out of there. They get Groot to come by, and Yandu tells him to get a prototype fin for his head. After bringing a bunch of wrong items simply for his you know, hilarity, Yandu gets his fin and gets himself and Rocket out. Yandu sends the arrow through every mutinous Ravager they come across, which Rocket and Groot get in on some Ravager kicking themselves the three board an escape ship with craglin but not before yandu sets the whole ship to blow up Taserface gets hit with flames but he manages to notify aisha to yandu's whereabouts before he goes down with the ship the other four must go through 700 jumps to get to ego's planet um groot getting different things just elongates the entire scene in a bad way and it's i it just get to it yeah I mean, I liked it. I thought it was funny. I thought the fact, it, it, but it's that Guardians humor. Again, it's more of that humor. And I, it's almost like when I was when I was doing this notes, I was watching this film. It almost seemed like they had this scene set up ahead of time, uh-huh. and this was like one of the, like their bread and butter scenes where they can really nail home some humor and just make Baby Groot just seem in, more even cute and innocent. Like, okay, I want you to go get this, 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 and he brings back underwear. He brings back a toe. Yeah. <laughs> And it was just that we'll just never speak of this again. Uh, You know? Yeah. The prison escape, though, I think is arguably the best scene in this whole movie. And it looked awesome in 3D. I mean, the the arrow flying around to come a little bit closer by Jay and the Americans. So fantastic. And I remember them saying at the beginning of the uh, production of this movie, they were like, oh, I think they asked Chris Pratt. Uh, what will the body count be in this? And he goes, it's more than any other movie. 
And this scene alone is it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, okay. I'll definitely agree with you. I think it's part of my top three that this is the scene we've always wanted to see from Yondu. Yes. This is the arrow being, it's like, okay, let's just kind of take care of business, crack the knuckles and just let it go. This is what everybody's wanted to see. And they kind of hinted at that at the, in guardians one where Yondu falls on that one planet and just kills everybody in that huge open space. This is even more intense. I like it too. Yeah. And it's, I love the fact that the music is playful. <laughs> yeah. And that not, there isn't a children's choir in this one. That's kind of nice. No, but you know what I did notice and it stood out because I think it's just a classic Guardians shot. Yeah. Is when, I don't know, it's either like they're making a turn, they're looking at the camera and they're like walking in slow motion. Oh yeah, typical Guardians walk. They did that a couple times in this film and it almost was like, and then you got the playful music playing in the background. Right. Yeah. And the arrow is flying around killing everybody. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, They take 700 jumps to get to Ego. (laughs) It makes everyone look like Ren and Stimpy drawings. (laughs) It was just too goofy and it was drawn out. Ah, so this was your goofy and drawn out part. Mine was earlier. Yours is this one. There we go. Yes. Yes. Uh, Back on Ego's planet, Peter tries to woo Gamora with his dance moves, but it doesn't quite work as she cannot bring herself to express her own attraction to him. After she leaves, Gamora then sees Nebula coming down on her ship, shooting at Gamora. As Nebula crash lands, she jumps out to start fighting Gamora. Nebula manages to overpower Gamora, but reveals that she never wanted to prove she was better than her, just that she wanted to have a real sister. Gamora's success as a warrior led to their father Thanos mutilating Nebula, leading to her resentment of Gamora. The two then form a sort of alliance as they come across a cavern filled with about a hundred skeletons. Really? Nebula just wanted a sister? That's all? I mean, I got it, but let's see if that emotion translates later in the movie, because she keeps kicking the Gamora's ass. Nebula comes out with a ship, and is just shooting at Gamora, who's yes. running, nonetheless. How the heck does she not kill Gamora? You know? <laughs> so then that happens, and then Gamora throws on part of the ship on her shoulder and starts firing away at Nebula. Yes. You know? But they just want to be sisters. How- how the hell do they not how does she not kill nebula i don't know it makes it makes me think that this firepower isn't really lethal because again that happened at the beginning when the sovereigns were attacking the milano in the beginning it's almost like okay this is where disney picked up yep they already own star wars <laughs> and then now everybody's shooting like a stormtrooper it's yeah you're right i mean nothing is lethal here except for space it seems like yeah it, it, i i i can't believe it the guns have no value in this, in these movies. No. Uh, there are a, 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 a lot a lot of bones in that cabinet. Mm-hmm. Are, are you telling me that Ego couldn't have disposed of them better than just keeping them on his perfect planet? <laughs> well, they were underground in a cavern. But I mean, why what are they, you what keeping would, what them? What would be a better place? Well, turn them to ash. He's a god. I mean, why are you keeping the evidence around? That's like a trophy room. Okay, but he already said that he is the planet. So that's like taking a but rubbing it all over yourself going, eh, I'm just going to keep it around. Well, I mean, if he's the only one that visits its planet, then it doesn't really matter. I think that, that, again, this could be as like his one oops, but uh, (laughs) who knows? It's his place, you know? It's it's, it's his house. Steve, if you murdered somebody, would you keep the evidence around? 
No, I'd bury it. Okay, there you go. No, you, no, that's you, what he did. He put it in a cabin. No, you wouldn't bury it. You got to oh, you you burn it to to ash. Didn't you bury watch it. the Irishman? <laughs> I do not have three hours of my life right now. (laughs) (laughs) Peter and Ego continue to bond. Ego tells Peter that as long as there is light in the planet, Peter will retain his powers as well as immortality. Mantis sees that Ego has Peter wrapped around his finger now that he knows about his own powers. She rushes to wake up Drax to warn him that Ego's true intentions are now clear. Oh my God, this is dragging ass. Yes, there's... There's a lot of up and down in this film, Ugh. so if you haven't, well, one, you, everybody, you'll probably have already realized this because hopefully you've watched the movie. If not, it's very up and down. <laughs> yes. Okay, so if Peter was born with these powers, then why is it contingent on an outside source he didn't know was there? What else will fail if the planet is gone? This is some battle droid Star Wars bullshit. They're either his powers or they are a gift bestowed on him. Yeah, so when I think going back when you mentioned, you know, why didn't these powers like come up earlier in some like when his mother died or something like that? Right. He always had these powers. I just think I, I think when he was holding on to the Infinity Stone, that's and I think uh, Ego mentioned that in the film. Is is when you when you held on to a fig- Infinity Stone, I know you had to be my son because that was very celestial of him during that part in Guardians One. Okay. My impression is that Ego is like the Obi-Wan with his own with his own personal agenda. <laughs> A rule of two, if you will. Oh! <laughs> um, unfortunately, they just go wrong because if it's it's very, very godlike, very celestial, but it's only contingent on this planet being alive. Um, when Peter shows up, I honestly believe it's it's probably a passing of the torch. He really takes his on. It's his son. He knows there's someone else who can take over. But then again, if you're God, you're you're, you're around forever. I don't right. you know. I just I think he just needed somebody. And when he explained how he the expansion, I think you get into that later of mm-hmm. how he wants to take over the universe and how he spread his seed yeah. <laughs> all over the place. He just wanted that other companion or slowly build his army but it just never worked out now when peter shows up he's just like okay we can now just dominate this whole thing together um but yeah there's there's a lot of handcuffs in terms of being a god celestial yes and that's that's just not right and you know what what you said earlier spreading the seed i mean they're basically saying that this planet has jizzed all over the universe yes Thanks, Disney. It really, it really has because he's the planet. He created the planet, yeah. and he's spread his seed everywhere. Uh, Rocket, Groot, Yondu, and Kraglin make it to their destination. Rocket starts to gloat that he wants to save Peter just to prove he's better than him and can hang it over his head. But Yondu shuts Rocket up by stating how scared Rocket really is and how he puts on the tough guy thing as a facade. They then set off to take on Ego. And for me, this scene is basically Yondu's penultimate moment before he heroes out. He needs this moment or the last scene means nothing. Yeah, and this is also the... Okay, Rocket, you've been a prick all movie, an all previous movie. Somebody's here to finally call your BS. Yes. 
Uh, <clears throat> Ego explains to Peter that he wants to make what he calls the expansion. He went around the galaxy to thousands of other worlds, jizzing everywhere to grow his power <laughs> over the galaxy and cover the planets in an extension of himself. He impregnated women from those worlds and produced many children that Yandu delivered to him. But when they did not possess the same power of a celestial, Ego had them killed, and now their bones are what Gamora and Nebula found. Peter just so happens to hold the power that Ego was looking for. Ego also stupidly reveals that he put the tumor that killed Meredith in her head so that he would not feel the pain of being apart from her. Peter snaps out of it and begins to unload his guns on Ego in fury. In response, Ego takes Peter and controls him to start spreading the seedlings across the planets, causing mass destruction. To top it off, Ego crushes Peter's Walkman and awesome mix volume two that his mother left him. <clears throat> now, Ego has been patient for thousands of years. Why does he lose his patience now? Uh, because I think it just finally worked. <laughs> but if you're trying to get the kid on your side, you don't admit to killing his mother. Yeah, that was stupid. I'll agree <laughs> with that. That was just, uh, I don't know if that was like a Freudian slip or something, but if you want him on your side, yeah, you don't say, oh, yeah, by the way, I killed your mom. Yeah. Also, couldn't all of this have been explained when Gamora and Nebula found the bones? Okay. So would that have the same effect if they thought about all that? If those two – are you talking about like if those two came to the premonition and talked about it in that scene? Well, I think what it would have been then is Peter having to choose, Ego or his new family. Like if they all knew and they're telling him, look, this guy's bad. He, we found all this and he's got to make a choice. That makes for some kind of conflict in this movie. Well, yeah, they find all the bones and all that other stuff, and then they say, "We." the Nebula says, we're really going to get off this planet. Has that scene happened already? I think so. I, I don't know. There's a shorter movie in this film, Steve. Well, oh, well, I mean, if it did happen, and then all of a sudden he finds out about it, I think, yeah, there's your link. That That's when he, you know, figures out. As soon as he says he kills his mom, it, it, it doesn't matter. He, I think he's already made his choice that, okay, my dad's really a dick. I don't want to be around him because you just killed my mom. Because <laughs> every little boy loves his mother more than anything. Well, yes, but, you know, he also seems to love his father a lot now, too. Well, uh, we'll get into the daddy issues because I think I talk about that <laughs> and what the real father is in this film. Uh, Rocket, <sighs> Groot, and Yandu meet up with Gamora, Drax, Nebula, and Mantis as they gear up to stop Ego. Unfortunately, they are also met by a fleet of sovereigns out to kill them as well. Peter fights Ego's human form, but his entire planet self fights back. Mantis is able to put Ego to sleep while the Guardians take care of the others. They fight back against the Sovereigns and eventually destroy their whole fleet with a bunch of lasers. Meanwhile, Rocket builds a bomb using the batteries he stole, which Groot takes and runs off with, despite Rocket warning him not to push the wrong button or else they'll all die. Mantis gets knocked out by a fireball, breaking her hold on Ego and reawakening him. As the others try to get safe, Ego begins to consume them. Peter continues fighting his father using his celestial powers like Pac-Man. <sighs> now freed, Groot then finds Ego's brain in the planet's core, and he sets the bomb to go off in five minutes. Okay, Steve, I know you're a villain's guy. Uh, yes. Ego, the Sovereigns, the Ravagers, there's a lot of bad guys in here. Now, the Ravagers have been dispatched thanks to Yandu Zero. The Sovereigns are there for a second, just to make things look hectic, but then the lasers destroy them all. So I guess there's just ego. Did we need the Sovereigns in this scene, or were they just there to remind you that they were there? That's exactly why they're there. <laughs> <laughs> 
because that that was my answer, and then I then then you said that I'm like, yep, that's exactly why they were there. Okay, <laughs> I wanted to make sure I wasn't just like <laughs> short trimming this here, but yeah, I mean, and then Mantis making people sleep like this movie did to me. <laughs> just, just, did you start to doze off? I, I did. I watched it again this morning to pick up where I left off. I was like, okay, where I leave off? Let's do this. And I was like, I got to watch the whole damn thing again. Um, let me just say this. Introducing the fact that Mantis can do this to people's emotions, but mainly put them to sleep is great foreshadowing to what she does in Infinity War. But, yeah, but she that, put that... a fucking planet to sleep. And then later she says, Thanos is too strong? Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she was, yeah, Thanos is too strong. We're going with that, dang it. <laughs> and I can't wait for that villain analysis. Oh, you'll have a, you'll have a field day with that. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think she should have had an additional badass power, maybe. Yeah. One where she just goes absolutely ballistic because she's very, very meek. And I think it would it would kind of have been almost humorous if she's been like this meek little character. Oh, I make people fall asleep. I get in touch with their feelings. Yeah. Oh, by the way, if I get pushed this far, I can really just go out and I can just see Jack's going, going whoa. whoa. <laughs> <laughs> when she just has a whole found new respect for him. Yes. For her. Sorry. That would have been kind of neat. No, that would have been really, really cool if there was like this hidden ability that she had that nobody knew about. Yes. Kind of like Ant-Man in Civil War when he gets big. <laughs> oh, you mentioned Ant-Man. Yes. Uh, Drax carries Mant... Oh, Mantis. Ants. Look at that. Drax carries oh. Mantis to the ship while Gamora and Nebula make it back. Rocket gives his last space suit to Yondu, knowing he cannot save both him and Peter. Gamora tries to go back, but Rocket stops her so she doesn't lose another friend. This has not been Rocket all along. Um, Ego pleads with Peter to stop the bomb or else Peter will just be a normal human. Peter sees nothing wrong with that and lets the bomb go off. Ego's human form disintegrates as the rest of the planet starts to explode. Yondu flies by and grabs Peter. As they leave the planet's atmosphere, Yondu puts the suit on Peter to save him. He tells Peter that while Ego was his father, he was never his daddy. Yandu then starts to freeze up in space, and Peter sadly watches him die. Well, a lot of people froze to death in space here, but not Princess Leia. Oh, she's got to be the most powerful Force user ever. (laughs) (laughs) So the connection that Peter had with Ego before Ego admitted his bullshit plan was not as strong as the relationship Peter had with Yandu, even though he spent most of his adult life trying to get the fuck away from Yandu. Daddy Uh, issues... I don't have them. It's hard for me to relate, I guess. Yeah. You know, when I, I read this and I go, it's all about time. And it was time spent with Peter. Yandu was more of a father figure like yeah. earlier in Peter's life. And they showed that kind of like the flashback of him teaching, you know, how to shoot, you know, and all these other things. And until Peter kind of figured out what Yandu's end game was. And I don't think that kind of happened until maybe he was like a, a, a younger adult. I don't know. Um, Yes, it should make you hate. It should make him hate Yondu because there was like this alternative plan and he was Peter was used. But what Peter has learned along the way, that make he learned all that from Yondu. Okay. That makes him who he is today. And I think that's why he still thinks that Yondu is more of a father. And you know, with ego, he just met him. 
Yes, it's probably his biological father, but he literally just met him. Yeah, this... and he doesn't know anything about him, and he's hesitant to get to learn and know him, as opposed to Yandu, who isn't. But he's learned so much from, him and yeah, it makes him who he is today. So that's how I kind of collaborated or kind of understood that scene. Yeah, and this is a good scene for this type of movie. You need Yandu <laughs> sacrifice. I mean, considering he was one of the original Guardians of the Galaxy in the comic book, he at least gets the title for a couple of minutes. Yes. Um, <clears throat> the Guardians prepare to give Yandu a proper Ravager funeral. Craglin gives Peter a Zune <laughs> to make up for his lost Walkman, uh, which Yandu had been meaning to give him for a while. In return, Peter gives Craglin Yandu's arrow, feeling that Yandu would have wanted him to take it. Nebula sets off to hunt Thanos down herself, but not before reconciling with Gomorra. Mantis decides to stay with the Guardians. As Yandu's body goes out into space, the Guardians see dozens of other Ravager ships arriving to pay their respects to Yandu. Um, Nebula wants a sister so bad, but when Gamora hugs her, that's the moment to show that emotion, and she doesn't. And she kind of treats her like moldy cheese and bolts the hell out of here. Yeah, it's really weird because you can tell that she really she's emotional and really wants a sister. But let's revert back. She is a robot. Well, she's no, she's got mechanical parts to her. She's not technically a robot. No, oh. she's as much a robot as Anakin Skywalker turns into Darth Vader is. All I know is that when she's broken all apart in Infinity War, yes. her brain and her me- and all that is definitely not any. It, it's all mechanics. Okay, 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 okay. You 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 got me on that one. I, so it's like. But no, the scene is really weird because if, if she is a robot, then how is she showing emotion? Because she really wants a sister. But then it totally makes sense when she doesn't understand or show emotion. Yeah, because Nebula, I believe, is actually Cree, because her and Yandu are both in the same species. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anything about the funeral you want to touch on? So. <sighs> it is a pretty funeral. It, it, it really is. And I thought it was it, it was very, very moving. And I'm not going to lie. When they played Cat Stevens, father and son, it <laughs> totally made me tear up Aww. because it, it's it, it's a powerful song that I have come to cherish with my son and makes me think back to with me and my father. Yeah, it's the absolute perfect song for this whole entire scene. It's all about Yondu and what he's meant to Peter and what he's meant to his guild. Um, I thought it was a real show of respect and I don't know, it, it, it made me like Yondu even more in this film because he does have the most complete character arc in this film. Yondu does. Yes. Yes. I mean, rocket kind of does, but it takes a couple twists and turns. It's not a true arc because he does kind of have self feeling and almost selflessness towards the end, mm-hmm. but then he just goes back to his normal self and it's just comedic for him. So Yandu That's really has the best arc in the entire film. movie. Go ahead. I was going to say, Yandu has the best arc in the movie. Oh, by far. Yeah. By far. He's, he might have the only arc. Yeah. Yeah. There's an argument <laughs> for that. Uh, there are five. Count them. Five end credit scenes that follow. So the first one, Craglin tries to practice using the arrow. He doesn't quite get the hang of it, and he ends up sticking Drax with it. Drax has what I like to call convenient cap strength. Dude made it through being dragged behind a ship through an entire forest of trees without a scratch, but an arrow gets him. Yeah, it's like it's like a paper cut. I'm sure. 
<laughs> small on scale, but it hurts like a. <laughs> the, the second one uh, is Stakar honors Yandu's sacrifice by forming his own team with Martinex, Tanaga, Charlie 27, Starhawk, and Mainframe, who are all the original members of the comic. I said it before during the Stallone scene. I'll say it again right over the head. But if you don't thing. know these deep these deep characters this you're gonna be like that was a pointless scene but there was that's the thing is when they did the whole funeral and they went to different ships and all that stuff and you saw all the people you saw a lot of famous faces and it was yes. like okay this must be somebody then because you're not going to be like oh can i just play some random alien number two well daniel craig just did play a random stormtrooper oh, jesus christ in a random star wars movie <laughs> Uh, all right here we go i'm I'm, we're not gonna get into that not gonna do it Mm -mm. okay (laughs) i'm in too good a mood this morning okay aisha and another sovereign discuss their new oh this is the third one by the way aisha and another sovereign discuss their new plans to take down the guardians we see aisha sitting by a birthing pod waiting to break out whatever is inside to use against the guardians and she decides to call it adam as in adam warlock who played a massive role in the infinity gauntlet comic book but we never see again in the infinity saga still over the head yes i don't know Uh, but it's something i taught you i think i think i taught this to you is that in the movies if they ever mention a name it must be somebody yes yeah uh she goes i shall call him adam and then they they put the big thing i was like okay adam who oh adam warlock oh he takes the infinity gauntlet from thanos oh okay uh, Groot is now okay this is the fourth one Groot is now a teenager Peter scolds him for leaving his roots lying around but Groot just mocks him I am Groot and plays video games this is really just there for comedic effect <laughs> there's nothing here yeah and the final scene the elderly Stan Lee in his obligatory cameo is sitting with the watchers discussing his previous adventures but they become bored and leave him so okay does this mean that Stan Lee's character is also a watcher uh, what the hell is this scene? Did they just forget to put Stan Lee in the movie and this was an afterthought? <laughs> I think so. I think it's like, they're, they're probably thinking, where can we put him in this film? Because they put him in the 700 jump scene. Yeah. But did they need this one afterwards? No, I don't think they did. But it's... That's why I wish Stan Lee was still alive because I have a feeling they would have turned him into one of the Watchers. Yeah. You know, somebody who was always there at the exact same spots as all these things happening. Okay, <clears throat> that's the end of the movie. According to the top critics at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter rating of 71%, 39 fresh reviews, and 16 rotten. The critics, on average, gave this film a 6.8 out of 10. And the critics' consensus reads, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2's action-packed plot, dazzling visuals, and irreverent humor add up to a sequel that's almost as fun, if not quite as thrillingly fresh, as its predecessor. In other words, eh, it's not quite there. Well, so, well now when I look at these... Uh, ratings on here because after the movie on the voodoo yeah i know that you can go you can read some of the reviews from there and i actually did that oh, did you? and i read all I, I read some of the rotten ones and then i read some of the fresh <laughs> ones and even some of the fresh ones it's they there was like a handful of them that still talked bad about the movie but really liked it maybe that's something we should add to the show is when we do these we should do like we should oh, we should both pick our favorite rotten and our favorite uh, fresh review. Okay, and yeah, I like that. that. Yeah, 
The rotten ones will be funny as hell. Uh, oh, hell yeah. The audience score, which is the average rating the audience gave this film, is a 4.15 out of 5, with 87% agreeing it's a 3 or higher. So this was a crowd pleaser. Oh, that's surprising. I know. But the movie's <laughs> over, Steve. Were you entertained? It was definitely not as funny as advertised. Yeah. I mean, I honestly did not laugh once. Oh. I mean, maybe just a, I don't even know if I went. <laughs> Damn. I really didn't. I was silent the entire time. Towards the end of the movie, it it did get better. I was a little bit more vested with the whole completion of Yandu's character. So it, it, it was all right. Uh, how about you? What did you think? Well, you fell asleep. <laughs> I did. <laughs> uh, and you know what? For those of you who are wondering, oh, how late did you watch it? I started the movie at six o'clock in the afternoon. You finished it, and you finished it this morning. And I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so I did enjoy it. It's just not as much as the first Guardians movie. I mean, I can pull anything from these comic book movies because I'm a nerd, but mm-hmm. not as much. But uh, let's figure out if the awards got it right, Steve. Okay, the Academy Awards. It was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Achievement in Visual Effects. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 won, though, but it was up against Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So what do you think? Should Guardians have won this? No, actually, the one who won it was, should have been War of Planet of the Apes. Yes. Anything that Andy Serkis does is usually gold. Yeah, and mind you, at, at the previous Academy Awards... Uh, Endgame was up for that also. The only award it was nominated for at the Academy Awards. We'll just keep reminding people that. (laughs) One award. (laughs) One. Okay. Uh, It got no Golden Globe nominations. Um, (laughs) Reading your notes. (laughs) He puts Endgame, zero nominations. All bullshit. Okay, Saturn Awards. This is where the comic books shine. The best comic to film motion picture. Uh, Guardians was up for this. It was up against Logan, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Wonder Woman. But it's Black Panther that wins the award. So, should Guardians have won this, or did Black Panther deserve it over Guardians? Yes, they deserve. Every film deserved this over Guardians. (laughs) Um, But I mean, when you read that, it's like, wow, what a lineup. That's a wicked lineup, isn't it? It really is. And I'm like, so Black Panther won. Yes. What did they win because of popularity? Is it political? Or was it really better than the big one, Logan? Which was, I think that's the one who should have won. Well, being that Black Panther is basically Lion King, I'm going to say popularity and political. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, And Logan should have won. Logan is brilliant out of all those. Um, but when we do Logan someday, maybe we'll talk about that. Uh, yes. Best makeup went to Black Panther over Blade Runner 2049, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, It Chapter 1, The Star Wars, The Last Jedi, The Shape of Water, and Wonder. Now, I personally think that this should have gone to Guardians or Shape of Water. Shape of Water I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I did see Wonder, which was... Uh, I, I, I did a good makeup job on the, on the little boy. Yeah. It... He's a clown. Uh, Black Panther. Uh, I probably, if this was costume design, I would have given him that. Yes. But no, Guardians for sure should have won because, come on, there are so many types of crazy things in here in terms of celestial beings. Yeah, the practical so, effects alone deserve it. Yes. 
which leads us to our next one, best special effects. Guardians wins over everything else there. Is there anything yeah. Black Panther, Blade Runner, Kong, Skull Island, Star Wars, or War for the Planet of the Apes? Did Guardians deserve this for special effects, or they, would you have gone with Planet of the Apes? No, I think they totally did. But there were some parts in the film where you can just tell it was green screen. Yes. I think the close-up shots, like the one that triggered me the most, I thought, okay, this is weird, is in the very beginning of the film when Drax falls in the speakers and Baby Groot's right there in front. Oh, yes. All yeah. of the super close-up shots were, eh, you can tell. Yeah. Uh, and the final one, best supporting actor. Uh, Bill Skarsgård for It, Chris Pine for Wonder Woman, Harrison Ford for Blade Runner 2049, Michael B. Jordan for Black Panther, Michael Keaton for Spider-Man Homecoming, and Yondu, Michael Rooker himself for Guardians, but it's Patrick Stewart from Logan who wins. And I gotta say, I agree. Yeah, it's, it, to be honest, I think Patrick Stewart or Michael Rooker, you could have flipped this. You could have flipped it. Yeah. Flipped the coin and figured it out because this was so much Michael Rooker's film, being a side character as he was, but he was the main, that was the main arc, and I thought he did a good job. But this is also one, just like you said earlier, this is a wicked lineup that they have for Best Supporting Actor because they're all good. Yeah, I agree. Um, but okay. All right. On to our next segment titled Top 3, Bottom 3. This is where we talk about the three things we want to highlight in this movie, and then we go over the three things that are bad, unforgivable, or downright travesties. Let's start with the top three. Steve, I'll let you go. Roll. Number three. Yes. Yonder using his air using his arrow is the scene we all wanted this, at least for me. <laughs> That's where we finally, it's, it's like, okay, he can finally unleash his power. And it was just like awkwardly satisfying. Watching that arrow just go through everybody, you know, I guess with a person with mild OCD, it's like what that scene was like watching those video clips of satisfying videos It's satisfying videos. <laughs> it's exactly what it was. It's like, oh, don't, don't forget. Oh, OK, he got him, too. <laughs> and how perfectly aligned it all was. Yeah. So that was my number three. Number two, the special effects of ego rebuilding himself was really, really neat, especially when he goes from his nervous system to skeletal system to mm -hmm. muscular system to the skin, all of his endocrine system, and all, seeing all the organs, and he's talking and walking at the same time. I that, that moment really stuck out. I thought it was really, really cool. Okay. And then, number one, Cat Stevens. He was probably the best part of the entire movie where that made me feel something at the very end. Hands down, Cat Stevens. Okay, well, <laughs> great job. You've said my highlights. <laughs> oh, well, I never even looked at my yours, number so, three, you. Go ahead, my yours. number three is the Ravager breakout of the prison. <laughs> my number two is the technology, such as the drone army, the special effects, the spray-on tech that Rocket uses to patch up the ship. It's all really cool. And my number one is the soundtrack, Cat Stevens. <laughs> okay, well, I didn't even Let's see how these next ones go. Okay. Bottom three. This is where we <laughs> and moan. Steve, go. <laughs> okay. Do uh, you want to take the one on this one? I think it's really fair. All right. Number three. This first. movie tends to overuse the humor. It's A, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. <laughs> My number two is Nebula and Gomorrah are shorted in the storyline, which feels like they should have had a bigger piece of since we're inching closer and closer to Thanos. I mean, that, that's kind of like your bridge to that. And my number one, again, the soundtrack is awesome. But there are times when I feel like I'm watching a music video for the song rather than the movie accompanied by the song. 
You know what? The only thing I was waiting for What's that? was um, the David Hasselhoff version of Hooked on a Feeling of him flying through the air. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What are your bottom three? My bottom three. Okay. The 700 jumps is downright <laughs> goofy and seems like they were really pushing the humor and the silliness. No, oh, their face was beat. You said it. It was actually spot on. The red and stimpy type feel for it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I just was like, no. No. Nope. Just like I said, it didn't. It, it didn't really go for me. Um, number two, the full out important conversations that were happening in loud chaotic moments. <laughs> Rocket and Peter had one of them. Yondu and Peter had. I mean, they're just getting blown away, fighting through this, fighting through that, and then they're just driving a full out conversation that's vital to the storyline. I think, and I just, I just did not like those. And then number number one, it was not that funny when they really tried to make it funny. I, I'm going to go back. Wow. To when the select, um, to when the sovereign come to see Yondu for the first time, and the rub doesn't work. Yeah. I hated that. I hated that. You know, or excuse me. I go take a whiz. Ah! It, they tried to be funny, and it just it wasn't clicking. They did it at the absolute wrong times. I agree. I completely agree. <sighs> All right, well, Steve, it's it's go time. Oh no! Mm-hmm. Yeah, here we go. We used an A to F scale, critics rating on the movie Planet. A C is considered average. A is the highest. F is the lowest. If the movie is so bad, it receives Fs from all the hosts. It goes to a new category movie, joining Solo, a Star Wars story, the movie Planet Global Killer, (laughs) a category movie where you can watch it ironically and have an amazing time at how bad it is. So the question is, what do we give Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and the comic book feature film genre? Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I will take the lead on this one. Okay. Mine's, mine's fairly mine's fairly short. Mine is um, an essay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel yeah, I mean I feel like this is gonna be my shortest final grade I give on here because I really watched the film by trying to stay off my notes. I think you had mentioned that earlier. But you kind of need to see it twice. But with the time I had, I I kinda wanna do the best of both worlds. Okay. I know it and I know it seems like something screwy here there it is but 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 really it was something it was surprisingly really really easy to do because i knew that you and i would be talking about a lot of the same things after i was done with this yes um so the movie felt very up and down it was kind of like a carny ride kind of like a carny roller coaster there's nothing super grand just a lot of quick ups and quick downs um let's jump right into it my villain analysis uh, my villain analysis. Ego is the absolute perfect villain for Peter. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would have that's rather it? seen this. I, I mean, that's it. He wasn't a villain towards anybody else. I mean, I would have rather liked to see the Sovereign been the main villain slash army, kind of like how Ronan was from Guardians uh, Volume 1. I, I feel like they could have been a huge part of the saga that they could finally make relevant. They ultimately fell short. It was cool to see the celestial, how a celestial would work, but if you're a god, why is it so easy for a little stick to destroy you? <laughs> I mean, not bad ego was, but I, I mean, I would put him on par with Ultron. Ooh. The movie is clearly trying to be really funny, but it fell short. I, I, I really never really laughed. The ending saved it from being a really pointless, the movie I felt is really geared towards comic book super fans. 
There's a lot of reveals in this movie, especially all the ones with Stallone in the original Gardens of the Galaxy that you had mentioned that mm-hmm. I even still missed. And I, even after watching it the second time, I mean, I remember watching it the first time and us talking about it. And then you mentioned, it, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I still didn't remember any of that, even seeing it the second time. I would have probably enjoyed it more if I had more of that background knowledge from the comics. Um, my final grade, it, it, it's average. I really felt like it was just a movie I had to get through. I give it a C, but I think it's below Guardians Volume 1. Okay. This one did not get me excited for Guardians Volume 3. Wow. Okay. Um, All right. Well, let me. uh, First of all, this movie is a sequel. And sequels tend to be difficult to pull off because you you want to give the audience what they want, but also give them things they didn't know they wanted. When you find that balance, you've got a good sequel. So to start this off, I'm going to use my sequel rubric. Number one, bring back the main players. Check. Number two, check the circumstances or change the circumstances so they are forced to do something different. Check. Number three, Continue the narrative while introducing a new problem as well as exhibiting an internal issue amongst the group. Check. I mean, they make Rocket a dick, Groot is a twig, Gamora and Star-Lord have an unspoken thing from Cheers, and Drax is, well, he just stirs the pot because he's so damn literal. And number four, make, make you care more about the characters than you did the first time. Check. Who would have thought we'd care about Yondu after the first movie? So, it looks like it checks all the boxes of being a decent sequel. So why was I bored through this movie? Well, this is what happens when the second movie in a franchise collides with the 15th movie in a universe. We just came off of Doctor Strange and Civil War. Things are getting serious here, and for a good reason. We're inching towards Infinity War. But if you go to a galaxy far, far away, things are business as usual. You would think with Thanos would be a little more of a threat in the universe, but there's a damned fine reason he really isn't a blip on anyone's radar. This movie is not set after Doctor Strange. That's right. The dirty little secret about this movie is that it's set right after the first Guardians movie. That's before Avengers Age of Ultron, Ant-Man, Civil War, and Doctor Strange. Those movies haven't even happened yet. But did they tell you that right away? No. If they timestamped this movie beyond just saying 34 years later at the beginning or started the movie with a, when we last saw our heroes, then we would know that. Bad form. This movie is a roller coaster of emotions. One moment you're laughing, the next you're thinking about your parents and what a better childhood would have been. Uh, There are some moments that move. There are some moments that make you laugh. And there are some moments that slow things down. Unfortunately, they are all given the same weight. So you go through extended periods of this movie thinking things like, that was hysterical, but why did we spend five minutes on that if it doesn't matter? Or, oh my God, is this scene really necessary right now? Or, wow, this is really making up for the last 30 minutes of the movie. I need to go back and watch that again. So let's do a list of what we get that is relevant to the MCU in this movie. Um, Nebula admits to wanting to kill Thanos. This will be later a problem in continuity. Gamora and Nebula reconcile. Kinda. Mantis. Her power? She can feel things and put you to sleep. Like an entire planet. But maybe not Thanos later on? We don't know. We know who Quill's dad is. An all-powerful celestial named Ego, who is why Quill can hold an Infinity Stone. Except we forgot that he needed everyone in the Guardians at the end in order to not destroy himself. 
And Quill has or had godlike powers. And I'm going to go back to what I was saying before. We never see them again because of some battle droid bullshit. Overall, is this an average comic book movie? A C? Well, I always start with a C. And as the movie goes, my grade goes up and down based on plot, characters, visual effects, editing, and whatnot. And in the end, my assessment probably looked like a polygraph reading. Highs and lows, but everything kind of in the middle. This is not super necessary to the overall MCU. They had moments to make it necessary, but they b***ed out and didn't. I mean, you had the sovereigns in this movie the whole time, really, just to introduce Adam Warlock. And you never used him! That's an entire plot thread that could have been excised from the script. The sovereign could have just been Yondu's ravagers who defected from his leadership, and it would have made more sense. Have Yandu battling his allegiance to his own crew or Peter. And in the end, choose Peter. So, <clears throat> I'm going with a C-. Tied for my lowest grade with Iron Man 2. Mm. And that puts Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 at an average score of a 5.5 or a C-. And guess what, Steve? This is the lowest rated MCU movie we've ever done. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I complete, I have nothing to say. I completely agree with that because throughout this entire film, I was just like, is, is this movie even necessary? We rated Hulk higher. Well, that was an origin. So I'll give it that. Ah, there we go. Um, but Hey, our, our, our Pantheon stays the same. So winter soldier stays another day. Yes. Uh, let's get our critics' hats off. Do you love this movie, like this movie, or none of the above, Steve? Uh, it's not bad. It'll be a good movie. It's a good movie to watch with the sun one day. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, what about you? I like it, but I'm starting to wonder if I'm basically all Chris Pratted out. Uh, between, I mean, it seems like we got like an overabundance of Chris Pratt when his, like, his name was hot, and yeah. it's like, they're trying to use him and uh, Tom, whatever his name is, from Spider-Man to do this Onward movie from Pixar. I just don't care because I feel like Chris Pratt is the same character in everything. I mean, I did fall asleep during the rewatch of a Marvel movie, and that is never a good sign. Uh-oh. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I'll watch it. I'll always watch it. It's just there's scenes in it I like, but for the most part, I'm like, this is just filler. Yeah. Uh- I was uh, I was not looking forward to the rewatch only because I do remember that there was a lot of things that just go over your head. I mean, I think for the average Marvel fan, you're going to lose a lot out of this film. Yes. So when I was thinking about it, who is this film geared towards? This is geared towards the super Marvel comic book fans. They will, I think, really, really like this movie because they'll just get more out of it. You're right. Yeah. But uh, ready to close this out? I'm ready. Go all ahead. right. That's all we got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, we'll continue our look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Spider-Man Homecoming. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, or Spotify, and give us a four- or five-star review. Tweet with any questions, comments, theories, and I'll try to fit them into the show next time we're on the air. Send them at Movie Planet Pod. 
The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet Podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet Podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity, including Ego, that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are not found on the Volume 2 soundtrack. They are of the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders, and they are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Steve, any last words? I am ready to sling into this next movie. Oh, using puns. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening and happy movie watching.